Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 29 this Lord's Day. And if you're a guest with us this morning, or if you've not been here in some time, we want to catch you up. We have been walking through the book of Exodus, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, and what you find in the book of Exodus is the story of God's people uh, who were enslaved there in Egypt. Uh, the story how God is going to rescue them. He sends them a deliverer. And before they are rescued and delivered and taken out of their slavery into a promised land, God brings ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And we have talked at length about these plagues. God did not uh, bring these plagues because He had to. Uh, he could have in many different ways rescued His people but he brought them for a purpose. There was a reason that he brought each of these plagues. And we've been looking at those reasons as we've walked through each specific plague. And we've now come to a point where our study of these plagues is drawing near because we only have two plagues left to consider. The plague of darkness and the plague of death. And so we'll look at death next Lord's Day. But for today, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 10 verses 21 through 29 which tell us about this ninth plague, this plague of darkness. And we're going to look at the, the reasons, I believe, that, that God used the darkness in His judgment over Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so, out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this text for us, uh, remembering that this is the holy, inspired Word of God, given to His people, handed down to us His church today. And this is what it says to us. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you, only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, and not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, As you say, I will not see your face again you would pray with me church father we thank you for your word and your grace and your goodness we thank you lord that you have showed us the light in the darkness and so father today as we look to this word would you remind us of that light remind us of that gospel especially as we prepare to come to the lord's table together we ask this in christ's name amen you may be seated A phrase that has become popular, used more often over the last decade or two, is, is a phrase of 
random acts of kindness. Usually, random acts of kindness is used to describe that very thing. When something kind happens that we perceive as random. And so sometimes it's a it's an idea of an organization. Sometimes maybe even from a sermon, there's this push to go out there and do random nice things for people. And so uh, years ago, I remember I was in a, a drive-thru there uh, at a local place when we lived in Bowling Green. And as I got up there, sure enough, someone had uh, paid my meal. It was just a random act of kindness. So we use terms like, you know, pay it forward. Do these random things for others. That phrase, interesting enough, though, came out of a very different phrase. You didn't find that phrase so much about 20 years ago. It came really in response to another phrase, and that phrase was random acts of violence. Random acts of violence, we still talk about it. It's when things happen violently at random. And so in response to that, at some point, someone said, well, hey, let's respond with kindness. But they really focused on this randomness. Let's just do random nice things. A lot of times when we look at the world, we tend to categorize it that way because we don't know how to make sense of things. We say, well, this, this happened randomly, that was a good thing, or this happened randomly, that was a bad thing. Or there's other words we might use. Chance, luck, coincidence. We tend to think about things as just kind of happening by luck, chance, coincidence, random but when we come to the Word of God, we find none of those things. And we find there is nothing random about how God has ordered the universe. There is nothing random about the acts of God. There is no luck. There is no coincidence. There is no chance. And what we find as we dig deeper into the Word of God is we find that there is great creative purpose in everything that God does. Whether it's His blessing and His hand on people, or whether it's his wrath and judgment. God has specific purpose in everything that he does. And so as we continue to look at these plagues this Lord's Day, I want us to consider the purpose that we see, not only in the plagues themselves, but specifically in this ninth plague, this plague of darkness. And as we look to this, I hope that ultimately that will better prepare our hearts to come to this table together today. And so if you're with us this morning and you are a confessing follower of Jesus Christ, you have repented and placed your faith in Christ, then this table is for you. And we want you to invite you to, to join us at this table as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a moment. But before we get there, let's first consider His Word to prepare us for this table. Beginning with point one there in your outline, we see in this plague of darkness that God reveals His power. God reveals His power. We have seen as we've looked at these plagues that God is bringing judgment on the Egyptians and on Pharaoh, but we've also seen God bringing judgment on these Egyptian gods, haven't we? And so I've tried to point out as we've gone through the text all these different plurality of Egyptian gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And I'm, I'm not going to give you a quiz this morning and ask you to name all the ones we've mentioned. I don't think I could remember all the names but, but hopefully you've remembered at least just that the context that the Egyptians attributed everything around them, the, 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 the rivers and the crops and everything that went on, they attributed all these things to the blessings of false gods. And so the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, was saying, no, I'm the true God. And perhaps nowhere more definitive 
of a statement than in what we see here in the plague of darkness. Because for the Egyptians who had this plurality of gods, they still had a hierarchy. And they still had a chief god. And while you might not remember all the names of all the gods of Egypt, you probably remember this one. The sun god Ra. Ra was believed to be the chief of the Egyptian gods. He was believed to be the creator god. In fact, we've discussed this before, but just to remind you, they believed that when the sun came up, that that was symbolic of Ra coming up from the underworld and now being reborn and resurrected every day. And so when the sun came up, they would worship and they would sacrifice and they would sing songs. They would go down to the river and make sacrifices, ultimately praising Ra as they saw the sun come up. And then each day when the sun would sit, that was symbolic for them of Ra now going down to the underworld where he would make this journey every day. But because he was so powerful, because he was the chief god of Egypt, every morning you could trust that sun was going to come up. Because Ra was in control. And so they would sing songs like this one that we found in ancient Egyptian texts. Unique God. There is none besides Him. You mold the earth to your wish. You and you alone. All the people, herds and flocks, all on earth. They walk on legs, all on high that fly with their wings. They attributed all these things to Ra. Notice what happens in this text. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. And so on one morning, as the Egyptians prepared to make their sacrifices, as they prepared to sing their songs to Ra, as they prepared to worship Ra, the sun didn't come up. Where's their God? Where where is the the chief God of all of Egypt? When your God is the sun and the sun gets blotted out, you're left only with emptiness. And that's exactly what we see happening here as God brings this judgment on the Egyptian people. He is saying definitively once and for all, I am the one true God and I have power over all these false gods that you're attributing things to. And just consider for a moment the patience of God in this process. We read in the Scripture that in the beginning was God. And that God created all things, the heavens and the earth. And God created the sun that would rise each day and would set each night. And God created the moon and the stars. And imagine the patience of our Creator God as He has looked down for centuries on Egypt. And He has watched as people, part of His creation, according to the Scripture, made in His image as they would gather each day. But when the sun would rise, they would not attribute it to Him. They would attribute that sunrise to a false god. And they would worship that false god in ways that were perverse and wicked and corrupt. And every day, the patience of our Lord to watch and observe as people turn from Him and turned aside to myths and to wickedness. 
But now God is going to give them just, just a taste of something. And we've mentioned this before. God in His wrath, he could, have just, he could have just dropped His wrath down on Egypt at any time. He could have delivered His people at any time. He could have given His people three seconds of slavery and wiped out Egypt. He could have done this in any way He chose. But as we see in His timing, there's purpose in it. And there's purpose for what He's about to do. Because with this darkness that comes, God is going to give the Egyptians a taste of something. What I believe God is doing here in part is he is going to remove his presence from them. And that's what we'll look at in this next point, point two there. The purpose of these plagues, specifically this one, we see God removing his presence. Notice again what the text says, verse 22. So, so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness. Notice the way that the darkness is described. It was pitch dark, verse 21, a darkness to be felt. I mean, how do you feel darkness? That the Hebrew there, actually what it's describing is that you would reach out into the darkness and it was so dark you couldn't even see your hand or your arm. We're talking about complete, complete dark. How, how many of you here, and you raise your hand on this, how many of you have ever been in a cave where light was completely shut out? Okay. That, that's a dark place. <laughs> when you're in a cave, you experience true darkness. We, we don't normally experience true darkness. I mean, we think about night as dark, but think about night. You've got the moon, and you've got the stars, there's lights all around you. Even in the midst of the night, there is light. But there are a few places you can go, like a cave, where you can experience true darkness. And when you're in a cave with no light source, you can't see anything. You can't see the hand in front of you. And what God is describing here in, Genesis, or in Exodus 10 is a darkness that is so dark that it can be felt, but nothing can be seen. And as a result, what we read is the people were completely debilitated. They couldn't do anything. And so again, that's hard for us to imagine because you think about it at night. You turn out the lights in your house, you take a moment for your eyes to adjust, and then you can kind of see to figure out where things are. But if you think about just that moment when you're in light, and the light goes out, and you're just kind of blinded for a moment, well, that moment was days for the Egyptians. And so they couldn't do anything. And what the text tells us is that at this point then, there's no light source for them. So whatever torches or whatever fires, whatever things they had that might have produced light, they're all gone. And the land in Egypt is in complete and utter darkness. And friends, there is a purpose for this darkness. Because what I believe we're seeing here in Egypt is that God is helping them to see He is the only one who made the sun and he is the only one who can unmake what he has created. And when you look at the plagues, you're looking at the decreation of Egypt. And I want to show you this for a moment. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Page 1 in your Bible. That's where we're going today. First page, we come to creation. And I want you to notice here that the parallels between what we see God Undoing and decreating in Egypt as we see his creation in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And God said, 
Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And so you have this picture in creation where God is forming. All right, here's land, here's water, and the seas, and the oceans, and, and rivers, and tributaries. And, and God makes it, and the Scripture says it's all good. But what does God do when He brings His judgment upon Egypt? He, he takes their water source. And he takes their river, the Nile, which was a source of great false worship, and paganism, and wickedness. And what does He do? He turns it to blood. He undoes what he did. No longer would it be a source for them. Now it would be a curse on them, at least in that plague. God unmakes what he made. Continue in Genesis 1, verse 11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And so God looks at the earth, and God creates every green thing that then springs up from the earth. So what does God do to Egypt? Through a series of plagues, He destroys every green thing that's in Egypt. To the point where there's just a little bit of vegetation left, <laughs> He brings in another plague to wipe it out. So that the Scripture says, specifically of Egypt, there wasn't a green thing left in Egypt. God unmakes what He made verse 20 of Genesis 1, we see God here saying, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God creates sea creatures and land creatures and all these animals that are there on the earth. He, he creates them. What does God do in the plagues? Through the plagues, He now destroys the livestock of the Egyptians. He unmakes what He made and it keeps going. In fact, the pinnacle of God's creation we would see is His creation of what? Of man. The pinnacle of the plagues is His destruction of what? Of man. As we will look next week, next Lord's Day, as He brings death to the children of the Egyptians. One commentator says it this way, The plagues are creation reversals. Animals harm rather than serve humanity. Light ceases and darkness takes over. Waters become the source of death rather than life. The climax of Genesis 1 is the creation of humans on the last day, whereas the climax of the plagues is the destruction of human beings in the last plague. The plagues do not run rampant, however. They eventually cease. And with each is another display of God's creative power. He once again restores order to chaos as He did in the beginning. The waters are restored. The pesky insects and animals retreat. And hear this. Each plague is a reminder of the supreme power of God who holds chaos at bay, but who, if He chooses, will step aside and allow chaos to plague His enemies. What we see in the plagues is God temporarily takes His hand away. And when He does, we have utter chaos. I mean, you think about this in the perspective of the fallen world we live in. Where we are not perfect, our government's not perfect, our law enforcement's not perfect, but, but God has given us these things so that we might have order. And according to the Scripture, that, that is a blessing. But think of what happens when order is removed in the culture we live in. Chaos. 
And what we're seeing in Egypt is God is removing His hand from His creative order and now we see chaos. And friends, I want you to note something. This is a work of God. We tend to elevate our perspective of ourselves while at the same time lowering our perspective of God so often. And so you will hear us say things like, we did something that only God can really do. God's the one with the power. We're not the one with the power. And so we, we have some issues in our culture. We have some really hard issues to deal with in our country. We have some things that need to be dealt with. But be careful how you refer to those things. I hear Christians say all the time, well, you know, we've taken God out of schools and we've taken God out of government. We've taken God out of our country. I didn't know we had that power. According to God, only God can take God out of anything. Now, we deserve His judgment and His wrath. And we don't deserve Him to do anything for us. But we need to be careful that we don't develop this mindset that somehow we can just put God into something and we can take God out of something. Because when God comes out of something, darkness. We have a world that deserves the judgment of God. Yet in God's grace, the sun came up today. And you look around, and the created order of God is still here for this day. We are not promised it for another. But in this day, we need to thank God, and we need to worship God, and we need to remember what God created, because what He does in the plagues in Egypt is He gives us a foretaste of what is coming. The plagues aren't just there so that God can teach a lesson to His people. They're not just there for that moment to deliver them for Egypt. I believe the plagues are there to give us a picture of a greater judgment that is coming. We looked at the beginning, so let's take a moment to look to the end. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And we're going to look for a moment here at Revelation 16. If you're not very familiar with the book of Revelation... It's not just the book at the end of the Scripture. It's the book that talks about the end. It's a book that talks about last things. It's been uh, interpreted in many ways by people. We could have even different interpretations among us today. But what we would agree on, I believe, is that what we see in the book of Revelation is the promise of Christ's return and of God's judgment on sin. And I want you to notice how familiar Revelation 16 is to those of us who've been studying these plagues. Revelation 16, as God's judgment comes, notice here what we read, verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The water in the Nile was turned to blood for a moment. One river in one nation as, as a moment, as a, a picture of God's judgment on that land. Friends, do you realize what God says here? That, that one day, the waters of our world will be turned to blood. Not for a moment, but in bringing the full wrath of God against sin. 
And you continue, verse 8 there, the fourth angel poured out his bowl onto the sun and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire and they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. The Scripture says here that God, much like He just destroyed the land in Egypt, just with the sun, He can destroy our land. And notice people's response to that. And you know, we tend to think with, if people just, if they really knew God existed, if people really knew what God was going to do to sin, man, they'd repent in a moment. Well, these people know. They are experiencing the wrath of God. But notice what the text tells us. They curse the name of God. They did not repent and give Him glory. Friends, we're reminded in Revelation 16 that our natural state is we've got the heart of Pharaoh. And the only thing that's going to change our heart and heart is God Himself doing that work in us and among us. But we continue here in Revelation 16. So He pours out His wrath in all these ways. And notice how He does it in verse 10. The fifth angel poured out His bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues and anguished and cursed God of heaven for their pains and sores and they did not repent of their deeds. This momentary darkness that lasts for days is a darkness that is coming as a result of God's wrath on sin. Now, some of you this morning might hear that and say, well, darkness doesn't sound so bad. I mean, you know, I'd love the lights to go out and take a nap. And some of y'all might be napping now, lights are on, but we, we tend to think of darkness. Some of us might have a fear, but we don't think, well, how, how is that such a judgment? But just consider this for a moment. You want to find the most depressed places in the world today? You know where those are statistically? They're in the places that have the least amount of sunlight. You go to countries where the way they're sit in the hemisphere, they, they have seasons where they have little to no sunlight, and you will find great depression rates, great suicide rates, great alcoholic rates. You'll find all these things, and they are vastly different than other communities that have sunlight at a, a rate we would be familiar with. Why is that? I mean, they've got artificial light. They've got candles and they've got electricity and they've got all these ways to light things up and they have the light of the moon and the stars and yet there's something about even here among us today in our world when God removes that light for a little bit it just plunges us into a darkness in our heart and God here's not talking about extended moonlight God here's talking about a darkness that's so dark that you can't see your hand can't feed your kids can you imagine that Imagine what the Egyptians were experiencing here in their darkness as their kids cried out for food and they can't find the food because they can't see anything. And if they do find something, they don't know if this is old and rotten or if this is good or not. And their kids are crying out for something to drink and they, they, they're just stumbling over themselves. And God says there's a judgment coming that will be complete and utter darkness. But there's hope. Because what we're reminded of in this passage as well is that in the midst of that darkness, God has brought a light into the world. And so I want us to go there as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together. Exodus 10, we'll be back there. And the third point in your notes there. We, we see through this plague that God redeems His people. 
Verse 23. They couldn't see one another. They could not rise. They couldn't leave their homes. They couldn't see anything. It is just complete darkness. But notice what we read. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. I can't get my mind around that. Sandy and I were talking about this earlier. I can't get my mind around what that would have been. I mean, I can get my mind around God brings uh, hail on Egypt and there's this, this bubble of protection over His people and they're not affected by it. I, I can get my mind around that. I, I've been riding down the road before and I've seen a storm in front of me and literally as I approached it, I saw the rain hitting and then I entered into the storm and then I drove out of the storm. I can get my mind around that. I can't get my mind around complete and pitch utter darkness on one side of a line and directly on the other side of that line there is complete light. But that's what happens here. God keeps His people in the light. And ultimately what God does here is He is allowing His people to be a light that will shine into the darkness. Because notice what takes place. Verse 24, Then Pharaoh called to Moses. Now, just again, imagine what that was. Here's Pharaoh in his court. I don't know if he knows who's around him. He can't see anything. But he calls out for Moses. And while the Scripture doesn't give us every detail of this, as I've looked at the accounts of the plagues and the sequence here and how so often God has this sequence of bringing Moses back in, I can't help but think God was communicating these things to Moses already. And so this is where I imagine it. So I'm going to take a little liberty here. I imagine Moses is here in the middle of the day, surrounded by light. And God says to Moses, light a torch. And Moses is probably thinking, well, what do I need a torch for? But Moses, at this point, we see him very faithful. I think he picks up that torch and he starts walking and he gets to a certain point and everything's dark. But he's got the light. And I imagine the people of Egypt who there have been days in darkness hearing the cries of their children. They can't find anything. They're stumbling around. Probably many of them injured. I've gotten injured in my house at night with the lights out. Just trying to make my way to another room. Can you imagine just pitch black? And here they are. And then somebody says, I see something. And then everybody starts to kind of peer off into the distance there. And they can see that there's a light. For those of you who were in that cave, I've been in a cave once where the person leading the group, he said, let me show you something. And he lit just a match. And when he lit that match, that whole cave lit up. You have in utter darkness, here comes a light. And that light is it gets closer. The people of Egypt now are starting to see stuff. And this light is coming. And then that light comes before Pharaoh. And friends, that is a picture there, isn't it? That here's another opportunity for Pharaoh to respond to the light of God. To the Word of God. To repent. And we've seen these indications of it. We've seen in the last two plagues how Pharaoh has said things like, I have sinned. I've sinned against God. God is right and I'm wrong. And even in the last plague, his response was, I've sinned and I need forgiveness. Now again, I'll make this point. If one of you came forward this morning and stood before the church and said, 
I've come to understand today that God is right and I'm wrong. I've come to understand that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I'm coming today to ask God to forgive me. How would we respond? <laughs> Praise God. We might sing stanzas three and four at the end there. Let's just go. This is great. Somebody's repented. Friends, when you read what Pharaoh said, his response was clearer than most of our responses to the gospel. And yet, we know he wasn't repentant. Why? Because there was no fruit of his repentance. And again, I ask the question, is there fruit of yours? We are not going to stand before God one day and Him say, well, show me your baptism certificate. <laughs> well, did you ever have perfect attendance to children's choir? Well, let's see. Uh, I mean, surely you were at least on one committee in a church. The Scripture says that God will look to man and we will either be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ or we will stand guilty before Him. And if you're here this morning and you think that somehow your outer appearance and your works and your church involvement, that they're going to save you, I hope that you hear what I'm about to say. That will not save you. We all are born with a death sentence. And the only thing that can pardon us from that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so don't trust in anything else. I don't care where you're a member of, this church included, or what committees you've been on. The question is, are you covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? That's the question here. Pharaoh says to Moses, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I was wrong. And the answer is, who cares? Pharaoh, you need to repent. And Pharaoh doesn't repent. Friends, if that is you this morning, I beg of you to consider repentance because God has given us a greater light than He gave Egypt. And that light is His Son. And the Scripture says of Jesus, according to the prophet Isaiah, Matthew recounts this, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. You could say that same thing about Egypt, can't you? But this is a much bigger picture. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in this region and in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus Christ. And Christ's light has come into the world. And so friends, you don't need to get up in the morning and look to the sunrise and say, oh, what a great God we have. You need to open up the Word of God and read about the light that's come into the world and say, oh, what a great God we have. Who not only gave us this creation, but when we rebelled against Him, and when we turned aside to our own ways, and when we attributed this creation to false gods, and when the Scripture says we worship the creation itself as if it was a god, He demonstrated His love towards us while we were yet sinners. And He gave us His Son, the light of the world. And friends, there is nothing else worthy of our praise than that. And so as we gather to this table together, we gather as a reminder that God did not leave us in the darkness. But God brought us a light, and that light is His Son. 
We gather around this table. We gather with a reminder that there is still a world around us, perhaps some among us today, who are still in that darkness. And much like the people in Egypt who couldn't see their own hand, they can't see their own sin. They don't understand it. And what they need in order to see it to repent is they need the light of the Gospel to shine. When that light shines and exposes the darkness, the Scripture says the Spirit gives life, the Spirit opens eyes, the Spirit opens up ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. That's what we need to pray. And so as we receive this together today, we receive it with grateful hearts and we receive it as those who've been challenged to take the light of the Gospel to a dark and dying world.